Hey, welcome to the Rungi FBC Sermon Podcast. I'm really excited to see that you're seeking the Lord with your time and pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Before you listen, however, I just want to issue out a disclaimer. If at any point during this message you feel like you need to work for God's approval and salvation, stop and instead remember that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Always keep that in mind and you will be ready to receive from the Lord. Today we're going to take a little break from our study in Hebrews and keep one foot in the gospel by studying Luke chapter 12 verses 13 through 21. Today's message is entitled, The Rich Fool. Do you covet? You know, this is a subject that seldom gets covered in church. In fact, in 10 years of preaching somewhere around 500 sermons, I don't think I've ever covered this subject in detail which is odd considering it's one of the big ten. I mean, it's right up there with murder and theft and lying and idolatry. Uh, God told the Israelites in Exodus 20, 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And yet many of us not only struggle with this sin, we rarely address it because we have difficulty identifying it when we see it. And I think this is because we're a little confused on what coveting actually is. I mean, for example, what is the difference between coveting and wanting? I mean, is it okay for me to want something? You know what really sounds good right now? A funnel cake with powdered sugar. No, uh, Nelda Yower's pecan bars. I mean, that sounds amazing. Wait a minute, there I go wanting something that I don't have. I mean, is, is God upset at me for doing that? Listen, I, I don't believe that God is an ogre and that you can't want something that you don't currently have. It's not sinful to see something beautiful and say, man, I wish I got to look at this all the time. Because, I mean, that's our response to beautiful things, right? So where does wanting something turn into coveting? When does it become sinful? I think many people would argue it's when you, you want something that doesn't belong to you. For keeping in the context of the commandment, he's bringing up the fact we shouldn't want our neighbor's possessions, which is certainly true. God did say we shouldn't desire what belongs to our neighbor. But if that's the case, does that mean that all commerce and trade is sinful? I mean, stuff in marketplaces belongs to other people and they sell it to us. And well, so, well, that's commercial. Well, what about things like Facebook Marketplace and, and uh, Craigslist? I mean, it's kind of based around this idea that, that there's something out there that we want that other people have. And you say, well, that's for sale. Well, what if I see something that somebody else has and I'm like, hey, would you consider selling that to me? And, and they'll, well, no. And I'm like, man, I really wanted that. Is that coveting? I mean, is that sinful? I mean, we can find a loophole around that. I mean, if that's really what it is, if it's just something that somebody else has. Because we can say, you know, I don't want my neighbor's wife. I just want one like her. But it's in this little loophole, we can still be left in a pretty sinful condition. For example, I don't want my neighbor's wife. I just want one like her, not like the one I have. I mean, that is clearly sinful it's an ungrateful ungraceful unrepentant heart that the core of coveting rearing its ugly head it, it shows itself and the definition of coveting can still 
elude us. And the funny thing is, we can't turn to the world for the definition of coveting because not only does the world not know, most of them don't care. For example, dictionary.com defines wanting as to feel a need or a desire for, to wish for. Okay, so you want something, you're wishing you had something. Well, coveting, according to dictionary.com, is defined as to wish for wrongly, especially eagerly. Well, thank you so much, Captain Obvious. My question is, when does something become sinful? When you want it. When does wanting something become wrong? When does wanting turn wrong? When does it turn into coveting? Where is the line between wanting and coveting? Well, before I give you what I believe is the answer to that question, I want you to know I didn't come up with this answer on my own. In fact, I didn't come up with it at all. It was given to me by something that the world would consider old and outdated in its definitions. I got the answer from the Word of God, specifically from Jesus, the Son of God. Coveting is all about what today's parable is about, and it's defined in a pretty easy way for us to understand. If I can say to myself, I really would like some Anelda's pecan bars right now. That is completely different from saying, if I just had some pecan bars, then my life would be complete. I would be happy then. When we covet, what we're saying is, I won't be complete or happy until I get it. Why is that so sinful? Because it's falling into the belief that something or someone other than God is going to make our lives complete that we have a deep longing for something or someone other than God. The things that we don't have don't fill us up. And we look at our neighbor and say, I need what he has or she has. Now, I once heard someone say the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the rest of the commandments, the other nine, are just expressions of how we put other things before God. We can make an idol for ourselves. And, and, and you know, I, I don't really know if that's true. It seems to make sense. If that's true, then it would certainly make sense how, number nine, coveting our neighbor's things can quickly turn to idolatry, that we put other things before God. We think we need something other than God. Before we turn to today's passage, I thought it might be helpful to bring an object lesson to help us remember the difference between wanting and coveting. In pre preparation for today's message, I went and I bought a lottery ticket for um, Sunday night's drawing. And, and no, I don't play the lottery because um, I don't like throwing my money away. I got it specifically for today's sermon, which on a side note, I've heard people argue with why gambling is sinful and yet the Bible never directly addresses gambling, saying, Thou shalt not get a quick pick. However, the Bible does say in Ecclesiastes 2.24, There is nothing better for a man to eat and drink and find enjoyment in his hard work. And so we take that to mean you shouldn't get something for nothing. But the Bible never speaks against getting something for nothing, for if it did, then it would be wrong to get an inheritance from our parents. It does say we shouldn't steal, and, and Jesus is even going to speak today about having greed, which I think is the root of gambling. Um, and listen, I'm not saying let's go hit the casino. In fact, I would argue that gambling is wrong, but not because it's getting something for nothing. It's because it seems to serve the best example of coveting in this world. Have you ever said to yourself, whether externally or internally, man, if I could just win the lottery, then my life would be complete? If I didn't have to worry about money, then I'd be happy? Well, therein lies the importance of today's parable. This is why the Word of God is still relevant today, even though people say it's old and it's outdated. Jesus is going to address 
um, a parable today that I believe seems to focus on this idea that other things are going to bring us fulfillment. That we can fill up on things and chase things and miss what's truly important. I know I have a habit of doing this to you, but before we get to today's parable, I feel it's important to get a little bit of context as, as to why Jesus told this parable to a crowd. First, we need to keep in mind the purpose of a parable is not to help a hard teaching make more sense. The purpose of a parable is to hide knowledge from some and reveal it to others. When, when asked by his disciples why he spoke to the people in parables, Jesus responded to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and... Um, he says, uh, he says to them, it's not been granted. But in Matthew eleven twenty five, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, and you revealed them to the infants. A parable was to hide truth from some and reveal it to those who had spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. And when we accept this truth, or rather when it's revealed to us by God, it's not difficult to see why Jesus was doing this and why this was according to God's good pleasure. When Jesus told this parable, there had been a significant shift in his ministry, a significant shift in the way things were being done. Jesus healed people and he did miracles. And the religious leaders accused him, saying, It is only by the power of Beelzebub that you're able to do these things. In other words, Satan is giving you power to heal. And Jesus con con contradicts that. He says, you know, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Why would Satan do that? They said this because they refused to acknowledge Jesus as God's promised Messiah. And they were trying to turn everybody away from him by saying that. And as a result, Jesus purposely began telling parables to keep them from his teaching. Now, after being accused of doing these things by the devil's power, Jesus changed gears. He went on to the offensive and and uh, he began to um, chastise the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy. Now, a hypocrite, we, 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 we are familiar with that term, but it actually comes from a Greek word, hypocrite, which means uh, a stage actor or a pretender or a dissembler. In Jesus' day, they would have shows and actors, but in, in order for an actor to play a part, then they would put on a mask. And whenever they changed roles, they would change their masks. And that's what Jesus is accusing them of, pretending to be something that they're not. And so in Luke chapter 12, it says that after thousands of people had gathered to see Jesus, so many that they were stepping on each other, he began to tell his disciples, and then it kind of moved to the crowd, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. A leaven or yeast uh, is what you put in bread to cause it to rise. You just put a little bit, and as Jesus says, it works its way through the whole batch of dough. And as Jesus says, the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy, which is what he gives out all those woes to the Pharisees on. You know, like you guys are whitewashed tombs. You're 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 clean on the outside, and you're pretending like you're alive and you're you know God's people. But the truth is, is that inside are dead men's bones. You are dead inside. And you know, he tells them basically, you clean the outside of the cup, and you the inside's filthy. And you know, you do all this stuff for God, but you have missed the truth that you are not who you are pretending to be. And basically, it just takes a little bit of hypocrisy. He's telling his disciples, beware, be, be careful, because it just takes a little bit of hypocrisy to spread into your heart, and then you're going to be pretending. And so Jesus, after harping on the Pharisees, he's telling his disciples, he's telling this crowd, 
things like don't be afraid of those who can kill the body because I mean he's going right up against them and they hate him and they want him dead and he says don't be afraid of those who can kill your body fear the one who can throw your body and and soul in hell fear God don't fear men don't try to please men please God and he tell them things like don't worry about your life God's going to take care of you and don't deny the son because if you do I'll deny you before the father and don't be afraid of what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit is going to tell you what to say. I mean, Jesus is giving them spiritual gold here. Things that we need to know desperately. He's handing out life-giving truth that we desperately need to hear. And I guess that's what makes the next thing that's about to happen in this passage so incredibly disgusting. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15. Let's read that real quick. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you. And then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. I want to pray real quick. Father God, we, we come to you now and... As we continue to study your word, we just ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would study us and that, God, that you might reveal to us the condition of our heart. If we're putting something else ahead of you or we have this belief that what we truly need in this world is more stuff, then, God, would you show us that's the condition of our heart? And God, would you speak to us this message on what we need to surrender and how we need to do that so that, Father, you can be our treasure. God, we love you and just ask that you would reveal your truth to us from Scripture and all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine this setting for just a second. Jesus is teaching thousands upon thousands of people. They have gathered together and he's handing out life-changing truth in relation to the Holy Spirit. He's telling them things that all of us desperately need to hear. And some guy from the crowd cries out, A teacher, tell my brother he has to share his inheritance with me. It's almost like, have you not been hearing what Jesus has been saying? Are you an idiot? He's talking about eternity, the difference between heaven and hell, life and death, and you're worried about your inheritance? Notice here that Jesus doesn't do what this guy wants. Instead, Jesus says to a man who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you. This can be kind of confusing here because just didn't Jesus say in John 5, 22, for not even the Father judges anyone, he's given all judgment to the Son? It seems that the Father made Jesus judge, so why did he respond the way that he did when this man was trying to bring him in to solving his problem? Well, to me, it communicates two things. That although Jesus is judge over all of us and over all creation, there is something to the fact that we need to submit to him as Lord and entrust everything over to him. I think if this man did that, then he wouldn't be so concerned about his inheritance. But I think more importantly that Jesus is showing he's not going to facilitate idolatry. Jesus is not going to say that coveting is okay. He's not going to say, oh, yeah, go ahead and worship something other than the Father. Go right ahead. Yeah, that's fine. Let me help you with that. No, Jesus denied his request because he knew this man's heart. Instead, Jesus says to the crowd, beware. Be on your guard against 
every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. I can't think of a better message to our culture. Because isn't it a little fitting of how unnerving it is that every time you turn the TV on, every single commercial is promoting the idea that your life is not complete until you have what they're selling. If you want women to love you, well then you need Axe Body Spray. If you want her to say yes, then you're going to need a ring from Jared's. If you want that good night's rest that you've been desperately searching for, that thing that's so important it's going to change your life, well then you need a purple mattress and a purple mattress cover. Your life is not complete until you have what we're selling. And if you could just win the lottery, well then you could have it all. So be sure to buy your ticket. Jesus continues in Luke chapter 12 verses 16 through 21. He says, he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul! You've had many goods laid up for you these many years to come. Take the ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What I believe Jesus is addressing in this parable is coveting. Now keep in mind, this man was already wealthy. He already had big barns. But instead of saying to himself, man, God has blessed me abundantly, and how can I use this wealth to honor him? He says, you know what I need? I need a bigger barn. I need bigger barns, and if I could just get bigger barns to hold all of this, then I can lay up for many years, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. By the way, this is one of the rare places where God actually says to man, You fool. Another place would be Psalm 14.1. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. And ironically enough, that's exactly what this rich fool was doing. In response to his great abundance, he said in his heart, There is no God. The purpose of his life was to get more and to eat, drink, and be merry. And God says to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? In other words, this isn't a story about a guy who's wealthy getting more. And about how you, you, you don't need that bigger barn. It's a story about a man who deceived by his wealth and promise of getting more was about to spend eternity in hell. Jesus says in verse 21, So is the man who stores up for himself treasures and is not rich towards God. Is Jesus saying that we can't have money? Well, if that's the case, well, why did God give Solomon so much wealth? 
Well, remember, Jesus did say to the rich young ruler to go sell off everything he had and give it to the poor and then come follow him. And that story talks about how sad it is the guy walked away. Well, that's true, but keep in mind, Jesus didn't say that to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a very rich man who served as a tax collector. He's very wealthy. Jesus didn't tell him after he paid back four times what he stole from people. Well, Zacchaeus, I know you, you, you've done a lot with your wealth and you, you paid four times back, but you're going to have to sell your house too because I don't want you to have anything. Jesus didn't say to Mary, who was clearly wealthy because she had an alabaster jar of pure nard that cost a year's salary, that she was going to have to give away everything else she had to come follow him. Does that seem fair? I mean, why didn't he say that to them? You might think, well, because they gave all their stuff up. Well, we don't know that they gave all their stuff up. But think about why they did with their wealth what they did. Them doing what they did was a clear indicator that all their stuff wasn't where their treasure really was. They fought against the idea that a man's life consisted of his possessions. They were selling out everything to be rich towards God. And after that, everything else they had it wasn't an issue. Do you know the story reminds me of? One time I was talking to my grandmother, and she told me that when her daddy was on his deathbed, this is my great-grandfather, he called in all of his children one at a time. My grandmother has four siblings. In her family, there are four girls, Sylvia, Leola, Gwen, and Lisa, and one son, L.D., my grandmother, Sylvia, is the oldest, and L.D. is the baby. She told me her father called her in and said, Sylvia, I'm about to die, and when I do, I'm going to leave you an inheritance, and I want you to give it all to your brother, L.D. In other words, he wanted her to give all the money and all the land that he, she was going to get his inheritance to L.D. because he was the only boy. And he, her father, wanted the Eve's family name to continue through his son. And it communicated to her that she wasn't as valuable to her father as his son was. That he didn't love her as much as he loved his son. Really, it communicated that he didn't love, him, uh, love her as much as he loved himself and his legacy. And so she told him, no, Daddy, that's not right. I'm your child, too. I'm not going to do that. And you know, because she refused to do what he asked her to do, he cut her out of the will, and he gave her inheritance to L.D. And now from what she told me, the other sisters just agreed to the request, and they gave all their inheritance to their brother, too. And I asked my grandma, Grandma, didn't that make you bitter? And she said, no, son, I knew I couldn't live with bitterness in my heart. And so I just let it go. I moved on. And I asked her, Grandma, how? How did you move on from that? And she said one of the most godly things I've ever heard come out of anyone's mouth. One of the most wise things I've ever heard outside of Scripture. She said, I guess I figured if L.D. could live with it, then I could live without it. You know, when she told me that, I thought to myself, wow. 
I want to be just like you. And over the years, it's taken me some time to truly understand how my grandmother was able to say that in her heart. She was able to say that in her heart because she took Jesus' words, this wealth that he offered up, and she lived by them. That a man and a woman's life does not consist of his or her possessions. And rather than storing up treasure for themselves, they must be rich towards God. Who knows, maybe it's because of her godly attitude all those years ago that I would have such an example set before me that I would want to be rich towards God too. You know, I admit to you there have been some things that have run through my mind since I bought this lottery ticket. What if this ticket, because I bought it for this sermon, is the winner? (laughs) That'd be crazy, right? I can see the headlines now. Pastor buys lottery ticket for sermon object lesson and wins. I think you'd see a whole lot more sermon analogies based off lottery tickets in the future, right? But what would I do if that was a winner? Would I give it all to the church? Maybe I'd keep some for myself. What if I could just keep a portion of that and buy everything that the world says I'm not complete without? I mean, what if I had it all? And then I think, man, if I could just win the lottery, then my life would be complete. But Jesus reminds me that, no, a man's life does not consist of his possessions. And so I'm making this decision now. I'm going to tear this up. And if it's the winning ticket, I don't think I would want to know. I mean, could you imagine those headlines? Pastor tears up lottery ticket in front of congregation, and it was the winning ticket. Or how about this one? Moron says goodbye to millions. But Jesus spoke these words for people like me to understand. That a man's life does not consist of his possessions. I don't need to be rich in the world. I need to be rich towards God. And because he has worked this miracle in me, because he has spoken the very words of life that are of incomparable value, I will not dare interrupt him. All of us need to see that the wealth that we're looking for is in Christ. He is the means by which we can be rich towards God. It is by sacrificing upon the altar this idea that what we truly need is for our legacy to continue. That we have to sacrifice our ambitions to have it all that the world says we need. All the stuff we can't live without according to the world's standards. We have to sacrifice that. We have to put to death the belief that our life consists of what we can get for ourselves. We have to destroy the belief that what we truly need is a bigger barn to store up all our stuff. Because as Jesus says... You can't take it with you. Jesus says in another gospel, he says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Rather, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I just want to challenge you, don't look for your treasure here. In the words of Christ, be rich 
towards God. Let Him be your wealth. Let Jesus be your treasure. Because when Jesus is your treasure, then your heart is wherever Jesus is. Well, I hope this message has been an encouragement to you and that you have a renewed purpose and dedication to trust in the Lord and serve Him. Please feel free to download our church app so that you never miss another message by searching FBC Rungi in the Apple App Store or Google Play. We at Rungi First Baptist Church are here to take root, grow, and bear fruit. So if you'd like to join with us in our mission, then let's get out there and bring glory to God.